you may wonder why we would spend six weeks in this little book Paul wrote to Philemon as a letter. Uh, there's no great theological argument. There are no discourses on Christian ethics. Just a very personal letter. Why would we spend so much time? The reason is that it gives us a window into a community of people that, that were on mission together. And their movement was so attractive, it was also expansive. And they, they lived this way in a day and a world that really didn't care much about Jesus Christ. Increasingly, this is our own world as well. In a recent Gallup poll, um, we, we, we see that church membership is declining rather rapidly. Any kind of house of worship, actually. Just a few years ago, there were 70% of us who went to some kind of house of worship. Now it's fewer than 47% of us in church. So our world is not unlike their world in many respects. And yet, J.B. Phillips writes, these early Christians were on fire with the conviction that they had become, through Christ, literal sons and daughters of God. They were pioneers of a new humanity, founders of a new kingdom. Perhaps, Phillips writes, if we believed what they believe, we might achieve what they achieved. So the reason we're looking at this little letter is we want to understand our calling as followers of Jesus and as a church called University Presbyterian Church. Jesus is not calling us to get the world into church. Jesus is calling us to get the church into the world. We're going next door to join Jesus. We say the center of gravity here at UPC is moving from our church campus into the neighborhoods of Seattle and around the world. Because see, if we believed what they believed, we might achieve what they achieved. Last week, I talked with you about the motive, motif of family and how that began to change. This is God's intent for all people that we be brothers and sisters. This week, I want to talk with you about the hidden work of God. The hidden work of God. These early believers believed in the hidden work of God. They believe that Jesus is at work through this family and beyond it in order to grow it. We find this belief in a little phrase in verse 15 that we just read together. He was separated from you. You might open your Bible again to Philemon chapter 1, verse 15. Paul writes, he was separated from you. Now, I'll tell you what's the story behind that verse in a minute. But what I want you to notice is just... A little bit of grammar. The passive voice. Okay, here I'm putting my English major hat on. When it says, was separated, that's the passive voice. Now, if you hand in uh, a sentence like, like, sentence like that to your teacher, she's going to put a big circle around it in red ink and write in the margin, weak, right? We'd say, Paul, you should use the active voice, not the passive voice. You should say, he separated, or he left, or he bolted. Now we're getting somewhere, right? Good, strong, active verb, bolted. Now, here's what's happening behind the scenes. Uh, Onesimus it was a slave in Philemon's house. And as I talked about it last week, in Act 1 of this drama, Philemon leaves the house. I call it leaving the house. He 
uh, sorry, Onesimus, leaves the house. He takes charge of his life and he leaves the house. This is really an action story. And Onesimus is an action figure. He's like a superhero, right? If, I mean, if, we're, if this were a movie, we would cast him as Bob Odenkirk or something like that, my favorite action figure. Um, and isn't this true? I mean, isn't Onesimus the, the one who drives the action of this narrative? Well, yes, he leaves the house. And, and at the same time, uh, he's an action figure and God is doing something in his life. This is the hidden work of God. And it's kind of buried here in this passive voice. Scholars call it a divine passive. It's a verb in the passive voice to make it clear that God is the one doing the action of the verb. Uh, So some examples of this in the New Testament. Saved by grace or filled with the Spirit, or rooted in love, or raised from the dead. See, in all of these phrases, God is the one doing the action. God is the one saving. God is the one filling. God is the one rooting. God is the one raising. God is actually the great action figure behind these passive verbs. So why use a passive verb? Well, it's called the divine passive because it grew up in the theological tradition of Judaism in which there was great reverence for the name of God, the holy name of God. Uh, In order to keep the third commandment, thou shalt not use the Lord's name in vain, they kind of talked around God's name and they used the passive voice in order to not have to say God's name to honor him, but also to make it clear God is the one really doing the action here. So when Paul says, Onesimus, quote, was separated from you, Philemon. What he's doing for Philemon, he's pointing out the hidden work of God in his own life, the hidden work of God in everyday life, that there's action below the surface, that that when Onesimus acts, God also acts. I mean, Onesimus left and God separated Onesimus from you, Philemon. See, he's saying, Philemon, Think back on that. I know this was something you didn't want to happen. This threw you kind of into chaos and crisis. But God had a purpose. God was the one doing. God was the one acting. There was a reason for this. And if Philemon would ask, well, Paul, what could be the reason? We don't know. Paul doesn't know. Paul respects the the inscrutability of God's uh, work in the world. And yet he does have a theory. Again, look at verse 15. Paul says, perhaps, (laughs) perhaps, This is the reason he was separated. There's the divine passive from you for a while. And here it is. So that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a brother, a beloved brother. What's he saying? Well, maybe God did this through Onesimus' departure to give him an experience of salvation. That's what it means to be a brother forever, to give him salvation. Onesimus gives his life to Jesus, as I told you last week in what I call Act 2 of this drama. Perhaps God, perhaps God is doing something in his life. Now, these early Christians believed this, as J.B. Phillips says. This is part of what they believed. 
So the, what I'm trying to say is, let me say it this way. There's what you do, and there's what God does with what you do. Okay, let me say that again. There's what you do, but there's also what God does with what you do. This is his hidden work. Do you get that? You do, and God is doing too. I mean, you make a life change, God acts. You make a moral decision, good or bad, God acts. You find yourself in crisis. You are also in God's supernatural, loving, omnipotent hands. He acts. So, in other words, it's like I'm not really the leading character in my own life. You are a leading character, but you're not the central character. The central character is Jesus. This is his story. The larger story of our lives is the larger story of what God is doing in creation in his son, Jesus Christ. You're an action figure, but God is the great action figure in Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ, as Paul refers to him in the very last line of this letter. He's the one driving the narrative below the surface. And his activity is often hidden in our lives and in the lives of our neighbors. I wonder, would God go even further than Apostle Paul did with his divine passive? I wonder, would God say that I have set this whole thing up for salvation? Not that I caused pain, but I entered into the pain to redeem it. I wonder if God would say, hey, I put that house in the neighborhood, Colossae. Hey, I put that family in the house, some who believe, some who don't believe. Hey, I put that relationship between Philemon and Onesimus in the family. Hey, I even put the conflict in the relationship, all because I put my son, Jesus Christ, in the world in order to save it. So, so what I'm saying is Paul is teaching Philemon and us that God does hidden work beneath the family ministry of his people. Let's talk a little bit about family ministry. Jesus is at work through this family and beyond it in order to grow it. Now, I'm not talking about a literal or a biological family. I'm talking about the family that Jesus makes. That's what Paul's writing about here. Remember J.B. Phillips. Early Christians were on fire with the conviction that what they had become through Christ was literal sons and daughters of God. They had become a new Family, God's family. This is why Paul makes his appeal, if you notice in verse 2, quote, to the church in your house, close quote. Now that word house is the Greek word oikos. And I want you to learn this word, oikos, O-I-K-O-S. Uh, because it does mean house, but it can refer to the architecture. But oftentimes, and here, it refers to a family. The church that is your family, an oikos. In the Roman oikos, you had all kinds of people, not just biological family. You had kin, but you also had clients and slaves and free persons and um, trusted friends. It was an extended family. And, and as the early church adopted the motif of family and oikos and became kind of the way that they gathered together and moved into neighborhoods on mission, the Christian oikos became an extended family under the lordship of Jesus on mission for their neighbors. 
Let me say that again, because this is so important for us to get. An oikos is a, an extended family under the lordship of Jesus on mission for their neighbors. Paul, Philemon, Onesimus, they weren't biological family. And they weren't all believers at the beginning of the story either. And the hidden work of God changes that. Onesimus comes to faith, and they become brothers and sisters together with Apphia, this woman who's named at the beginning of the letter, and others. See, this is how the family expands. Oikos by oikos on three continents, Believers living as family with their neighbors in an, in an inclusive way, in an expansive way, and below all of that, God's hidden work. So we get lots of glimpses of this. For example, in Acts chapter 2, verses 46 through 47, we read this. And you look at it if you want. Turn over to Acts chapter 2, verses 46 and 47. Luke tells us, day by day, as they, that's the early Christians, spent much time together in the temple... They broke bread at home. They're, they're, he's using that word oikos. They broke bread at home, oikos. Literally, the Greek here says house by house across Jerusalem and beyond. They ate their food with glad and generous hearts. They just partied, basically, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And you go, that's a mission strategy? I mean, that's nothing. Even Presbyterians can get together and eat food. Well, pretty much. I mean, there was the food and just a few other rhythms that are mentioned in verse 42. They read the Bible when they gathered. They met each other's needs and prayer. And then look what happens. Read verse 47. This is kind of the, the conclusion of the story. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. The Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Now, we're being saved. Do you know what that is? Put your grammar hat on. That's right. That's the divine passive. The Lord is saving people. He's acting underneath the family ministry of those who are really simply just gathering together for food and fellowship and reading God's word and praying together. But the great superhero, the great agent of heaven is working in that. Now, God does the same thing at UPC, too. Uh, this is our third Next Door series. I don't know if you know that. Uh, if you're new, this is a great time to jump in with us at UPC. If you've been around for a while, this is a good time to kind of reflect back and remember what Next Door has meant to us. As, as we wrestle with our calling and our purpose as a church, uh, we've had these Next Door series. It started in 2019 in the spring. The first Next Door series, we learned, hey, we've got neighbors. Remember that, Mr. Rogers? The second Next Door series was in the fall of 2019, just before COVID started. And we learned that Jesus doesn't send us out alone. He sends us out together in community. Today, this year in Next Door, what I want you to take away is this, that God does his work when we live as family with neighbors. When we live as family with neighbors, God is active. And I want to be a part of that. St. Augustine, one of the great African theologians of the early church, wrote, Love all men, even your enemies, not because they are your brethren, but that they may be your brethren and sisterin. Love all men, love all women, 
Not because they're already part of your family, but we know God wants them to become family. And so as you do that, they have this experience of the family of God, this unique grace that's ours under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And they go, wow, I've never been a part of a family like that. Can you tell me what's make, what makes this possible? And Augustine says, that's when we tell them, Jesus, Jesus. And it's the same for us at UPC. That's why our mission statement begins with family. You remember our mission statement? Here's, here it is. We say we are a family of communities joining Jesus to transform our lives and the lives of our neighbors at the University of Washington, in our neighborhoods, and all around the world. So, so, so what you notice immediately is, is the motif of family is central for us. That's just who we are as followers of Jesus. And we have a wonderful expression of that at, at, and have for years at UPC, family. But then also notice, we're a family of communities. These are little expressions of that family, intimate, local, welcoming expressions of this, circling around Jesus, living under his lordship on mission for their neighbors, all around Seattle and these days across the world. That's our mission. And, and, and our strategy is something we call formational community. This is the way we live when we're in these little communities around Seattle. We call it formational community. We made that word up. But formational community is a way of life and occurs when circles of friends live as family on mission for their neighbors, being formed as disciples in the process. Another way you can think about it is with a Venn diagram in three circles. Let me put this on the screen. Formation as disciples, mission for neighbors, and community-like family. Now, when all three of these things happen, you're moving to the center of this diagram. And the center is what the early church would have called oikos. They had their word for it. This is where you find an extended family under the lordship of Jesus on mission for their neighbors. We just happen to call it formational community because it helps us remember formation, mission, and community all together. Same people, same time. God does hidden work beneath family ministry. Jesus is at work through his family and beyond it to grow it. So I wonder what would happen if I expected in my own life what Jesus taught Onesimus. Think about this scene as we've been discussing it. What did Jesus teach Onesimus, the slave who escaped slavery, about God's hidden work in his own life? I think Jesus would say this to Onesimus, oh, young Onesimus, you'll never get so lost that my grace can't find you. You'll never be so hurt that my love cannot heal you. You'll never fall so low that my strength cannot raise you. You see, as he escapes slavery and takes action in his own life to find a better life, to leave the house, he can know that God is at work in those circumstances. And so the work that Onesimus needs to do inside of that is spiritual work. It's all about whatever he needs to do in order to know and love Jesus more deeply, the great action figure. And you know what? It, uh, what that will mean is reading his life as though it were a screenplay or a book and going back with a red pen and kind of circling the passive verbs, separated, 
mistreated, stuck, empowered, adopted. All the ways that he might describe his life and recognize behind these passives, beneath them, there's this great action figure, Jesus. Remember, the Lord says this, "I, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give you a future with hope. Or do not remember the former things or consider the things of old. I am about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? This is the spiritual work of Onesimus, and it's the work that we have to do now. If we're going to join Jesus on mission, we've got to lean into the transformation of our own lives. And for you, if you're just taking a first step of faith, that means saying yes to Jesus. Again, I want to call you to say yes to Jesus. Right now, we have a group of people who are uh, online, eager to have a conversation with you, to pray for you and help you begin a new life with Jesus, to have your sins forgiven, to be cleansed by the Holy Spirit, to give a new life and receive a new family and to begin this journey. If you'd like to do that, please come to upc.org slash Jesus and then click the pray with someone now button. Let's engage in his hidden work. If you already know Jesus, this is the task for you. The spiritual work is to, is to, is, is really prayer to, to bring yourself into the presence of Jesus as Phil so beautifully led us just earlier in the service, but to do it on your own, to do it with others as a rhythm of life, to bring yourself into his presence, to ask him to, to engage you in that hidden work in your life. It's transformation. So what would happen though if, we engage not only the work of Onesimus, but the work of Philemon. I mean, what would happen if I expected what Jesus taught Philemon to expect about the hidden work of God, not only in our own lives, but in this extended family, in our neighborhood? Old man Philemon, Jesus might say. How long would you live next door to Onesimus before you realize I put you there for him? So that through you, I would make myself known to him. How long would it take you to embrace him as a brother? Because that's my intent for you both. See, Philemon's work is family ministry. It's to know and love neighbors. It's to read the neighborhood like you would read a screenplay or a novel and to notice the verbs in the neighborhood and circle them in red ink and say moved, located, rented, hired, bothered, (laughs) befriended. And to begin to metaphorically adopt these neighbors as though they were nieces and nephews, grandsons, granddaughters, brothers and sisters. This is the work of Philemon. It's family ministry. As the Father has sent me, so I send you, Jesus says in John 20, 21. I have other sheep that are not of this fold, and they will listen to my voice, John 10, 16. There are many in this city who are my people, Acts 18, 10. I have allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live so that they would search for God and perhaps grope for him and find him. Acts 17, 26 and 27. Oh, I wonder. I wonder what happens if home isn't just a place to live, 
but a place of ministry. I wonder what happens if family isn't just about my biological people, but about proximity and the mission of Jesus with his people. If we're going to do that, then we're going to have some barriers to face. I know I feel them in my own life. Uh, Some of us have these barriers. Uh, Unbelief in God's hidden work or self-absorption. Or, or here's a big one right now, busyness, right? This is the chaos of life. Or biases. All of these barriers need to be confronted. And what I want to encourage you to do this week is as you draw near to uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would ask him to shed light in the hidden, dark places of your life. Ask the Holy Spirit to search you and to pick a barrier that's particularly keeping you from engaging with neighbors in family ministry. And then work on that this week. Pray about that each day this week. All right. So Paul says, he was separated from you so that you might have him back forever as a brother. The divine passive and the hidden work of God. All that points us to Jesus. Do you remember what Jesus said as he was dying, his final breath? He said what? It is is finished. And now you know what that is. That's a divine passive. Jesus, our Lord, with his dying breath, wants us to know that from the beginning of his life, his miraculous birth, his teachings, his miracles, his healings, to the very end, his death and burial, and indeed his resurrection, it is a work of God working below the surface for the salvation of the world. Right? Now we know that. There's not much to see, but God is the one doing it. As humanity, you and I, we did what we did, and we do what we do, and God did what he did, and he does what he does. And what God is doing in Jesus Christ will one day save the whole world. Would you pray with me? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Thank you for the the inscrutability and the mystery of your work in the world. (laughs) It catches us by surprise every time you allow us to see it clearly. From a baby lying in a manger to a man dying a shameful death on a cross to an empty tomb and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on families around the world, not biological families, but families of faith who live with the love from heaven and share it with neighbors. Oh, Lord Jesus, would you pour out your Holy Spirit on us? We're a broken and weary people right now. We've come through a pandemic. Life is so hard for so many of us. Would you give us that encouragement that you promised through your servant Isaiah that we would someday mount up on eagles' wings and run and not grow weary. We pray in particular for mothers and fathers and all who are caring for young ones who haven't yet been vaccinated, those who are walking through trials of sickness and pain. We pray for our neighbors, Lord. Give us opportunity. Would you open a door? Open the door to our homes that we might go out and open the doors of their heart that we might have the privilege of giving witness to the great action figure our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen.